God, as we gather in this place, we celebrate the ways that we are able to connect with one another, and we also rejoice in the ways that we are different and the ways we might learn from one another. We are varied in so many ways and linked in fellowship in our life as disciples of Christ. We confess that we become easily frustrated by the way that those we have labeled as other live their lives. We confess that we offer little grace when we don't understand the choices they make. God, fill our hearts and minds with your mercy that we might seek empathy before judgment, comprehension before dismissal. May we share the love that you have abundantly shared with us and do so in ways that allow us to grow in relationship with those who are and who live differently than us. Your grace and compassion for all people is such a gift. It is life-giving, encouraging, and transformative. We pray our lives will be shaped to reflect this gift you offer so freely to the world, reminding others that they are created in your image. When we fall short, when we stumble, when we are imperfect in the ways that we live as disciples, we ask for your guidance, for your comfort, for your peace. And here are prayers of thanks and gratitude when we receive grace offered from others, from those who love us despite our missteps. May we see glimpses of your spirit in their care for us. God, we offer these prayers this morning as a community of faith composed of beautiful and diverse voices, lives, experiences, and gifts. We are grateful that you are in and among us as we seek to live as faithful followers of Jesus. In your name we pray.
The witness of scripture this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And at about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received a denarius. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied, replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last.
Thank you for being in worship today. Between fall break and yesterday's results in the Cotton Bowl, which have left us either depressed from defeat, although I don't know who that could be, uh, or exhausted from elation, this Sunday is almost always the lowest attended Sunday of the year. Fortunately, no matter how we feel, this morning's parable from Matthew's Gospel is guaranteed to make us feel worse. (laughs) The parable of the laborers in the vineyard, as it is known, is almost as disorienting as Jesus' parable of the prodigal and the Samaritan, which Luke's Gospel tells us. These three parables are in the pantheon of parables that disrupt life's assumptions about the status quo. But that's the nature of the parables Jesus tells. They are surprising, not confirming. Reorienting, not conventional. Since Jesus tells us that parables are about the kingdom of heaven and the ways of God, it is fair for us to ask, how God's reign is being told in this parable. John T. Carroll reminds us that this parable has been rigorously and variously interpreted over the years. Is this a parable about the generosity of a landowner? Or is the parable about the exploitation of vulnerable workers by a union-busting owner who deliberately sets laborers against one another with an unfair wage structure? Or does the parable emphasize the obligation of the well-heeled to provide work and resources for those whose survival is uncertain? Or... Is the parable a defense of Jesus' acceptance of religious outsiders who have responded to his preaching and his healing? Or is the parable about the full inclusion of the Gentiles who have come lately to Israel's salvation story? Beyond these and many other interpretations over the years, we recognize that the title given to the parable is itself an interpretive move. We remember that Jesus did not entitle his parables. Those were added later. Jesus never said, gather around friends to hear the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Now, to be sure, the parable speaks of the laborers. But what if it is entitled instead, the parable of a gracious God, or the parable of wondrous bounty, or simply Tales from the Vineyard. Names matter. Titles insinuate perspective. This parable is about more than simply the laborers. Jesus says this parable is about the kingdom of heaven. Where the gospel writers place a story in their telling also matters. Every author shapes the gospel they tell with the stories they emphasize and the way they order those stories. This particular parable follows two stories about greatness, one of those involving children who had very little status, yet Jesus said, to such as these belongs the kingdom of heaven. The other story 
that immediately precedes this parable is the story of a rich young man who had amassed great wealth and had been faithful in keeping the commandments, which were seen as signs of God's blessing. Yet Jesus spoke to him of sharing his wealth with the poor, changing his investment strategy toward treasures in heaven, and following Jesus. Counsel that left this accomplished upstart grieving and the disciples confused. Two stories concluding with a statement that sets life on its head. Many who are first will be last and the last will be first. That same phrase, as we've already heard, is repeated at the conclusion of today's parable. Where a story is placed in the gospel telling is important. But it may be equally important to pay attention to where we place ourselves in the parable because we have learned that parables reveal first, then inform later. So, if we place ourselves among the laborers, which group are we? Well, having grown up on a steady diet of the Protestant work ethic of valuable productivity, some might see themselves in the industrious, hard-working, all-day laborers. That's fine. But the parable allows for more than one perspective. Maybe some see themselves as the owner of the vineyard, someone with power to shape people's lives and with options about how to use that power, who benefits, who doesn't. Maybe we see ourselves with Jesus in this parable trying to teach something of unusual value, or perhaps we are with the disciples trying to figure out how to live the practicalities of this kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, especially in a world where at the end of the day, Rome never lets us forget that Caesar is really the dominant one and not Christ. So, where we place ourselves in the parable matters. Now, this parable that Jesus tells would be familiar to first century Galileans, if not first world Christians. It may well be that it's this time of year, harvest season, and day laborers are gathering at the town market hoping to be hired and paid the going wage so that they can provide for themselves and any family depending on their work. They are at the mercy of another for their life. And yet Jesus is shaping this scene with subtle changes because he wants people to know about the kingdom of heaven and God's ways in the world, which is not as well known, unfortunately, as the kingdoms of this world and Caesar's rule from the palace. To be sure, these day laborers know about their dependence on others for their survival. And yet at another level, Who of us is not in some way dependent on others for our lives? The deepest truth that is easy to forget 
is that our lives come out of the grace and generosity of God who wants us to be and many others who help us to be. There's not a single one of us who is owed this life that we have. It all comes as grace. And if that's our starting point, then perhaps we can hear this parable differently. Jesus introduces another subtlety in the story. It's the owner who comes to seek the laborers. This owner does not send someone else, but seeks workers personally. This is no distant and indifferent owner. This is no one who puts out a help-wanted sign and hopes people will show up. This is a seeking, searching, calling owner. Like a shepherd searching for a lost sheep like a woman who stays up all night sweeping her house looking for a lost coin, like a parent who stands on tiptoes waiting for a child to come home, like a host who throws a party and isn't happy until every person in every alley and every byway is seated at the banquet. This owner, according to the parable, seeks everybody. We note a couple of other subtleties. It is not lost on us that those who are hired first do not complain about their good fortune. Nowhere does the parable suggest that these workers are better or more fit. They are simply the first hired. When good fortune breaks someone's way, Rare is the fortunate one who asks for a new hand. When you're dealt four aces, do you ever ask for a redeal? As the story continues, the owner returns to the market again and again to hire more for the vineyard, up to one hour before the end of the harvest day. We notice when the owner asks about the 11th hour workers hired, there's no suggestion that there's something wrong with them. They simply have not been hired. And we marvel that they remained at the market through the day, holding on to the hope that they could bring home a little sustenance so their children would not have to go to bed hungry that night. Now, had Jesus ended the parable right there, maybe most would be contented. It'd be a very nice parable. Everybody gets something. However, we know Jesus well enough to know that he never leaves well enough alone. At the end of the day, it's time to pay the wages which had been promised at scale for the first hired workers and only promised for what is right to those hired later. This owner could have saved a lot of belly aching by paying in the order in which the people were hired. The first hired workers would have received their daily wage as promised and they would have been on their way. Instead, the owner pays the last 
hired first, giving them an entire day's wage. Is this owner naive or foolish, thinking that everyone would rejoice at everyone's good fortune? Does the owner think the workers are past that scale which believes value is determined solely by a comparative ranking? Does this owner think everyone will show up at the break of dawn for work the next day rather than consider the possibility of rolling the dice and showing up at 4.45 instead? What is the scale of value here? The kingdom of heaven is like this? Who wants to be part of a realm like that? It matters where we see ourselves in the parable. As Jesus continues to reshape the familiar scene into a surprising parable, we note that the owner of the vineyard listens to the ones who complain. And the biblical story tells that story repeatedly. Jesus, uh, Jonah, remember Jonah? He complained bitterly about God's grace, even to the Ninevites. God listened to the belly-aching Israelites in the wilderness. Jesus wanted to know about the squabbles the disciples were having with each other. Now, to be sure, God does more than listen. Jesus listens and teaches. But being put off by God's grace does not disqualify one from God's grace. God does not rescue people from their discontent, but God will keep offering ways to get through that discontent. And in life, it's always a good idea to hear exactly what the complaint is. Those laborers who were hired first, hey, and maybe they have a legitimate beef. Okay, But those first hired did not say, hey, owner, you're cheap, nor, hey, we want more. Instead, what they said is, you have made them equal to us. There is a presumption behind that kind of statement. The presumption may be fairness with fairness defined almost always through the filter of personal advantage, or perhaps ensconced in the standards of the status quo, whether that is economics, family, social, or religious, sometimes ensconced in the presumption is entitlement. This parable seeks to move people from presumption to grace from fairness to mercy. Let us be clear, this parable is not fair. So if you're feeling this parable's not fair, you're exactly right. It's not. It's about grace. 
And no matter where we see ourselves in the vineyard, every single one of us is born by the grace of God, and every one of us is kept all through the day in the mercy of God. But we admit, as Graham Greene once said, the mercy of God is a strange thing. And then there's this. Master teacher that Jesus is, he leaves the hearers of this parable with two of the best questions he ever asked. The vineyard owner, having heard the complaints, calls them, did we hear it? Friends, and asks, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Jesus pushes people to ask questions about life. What's best? What's meaningful? What's redeeming? What's life to be? To what do people aspire? Now, no one ever said these questions are easy but they are important. So, even if it is fall break, and no matter the outcome of yesterday's game, which was wonderful, by the way, <laughs> Jesus gives us this parable not as a guarantee that we would feel worse, but as an opportunity that we might even feel better. Perhaps it all depends on where we are in the parable. Gracious or fair? 